Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. All right, before I forget, I'm gonna tell you what I do. I had somebody reach out and say, what else do you do? Well, first of all, I'm very, very fortunate to do what I love. My entire life, I've owned health and wellness centers, sold them in 2019. But my mission in life is to spread joy. I do that through teaching workshops, speaking engagements, writing books, hosting podcasts, anything I can do to highlight mental and physical fitness and show people techniques and things they can do in one to three minutes. And yes, I also do some coaching. I usually don't have many clients, but right now I had one who moved on because it's all about supporting them to do their own thing. So I can take on one or two new clients if you know one who's really interested. We have a lot of fun, lots of fun. So that's what I do and I'm grateful for you guys and thank you for asking and supporting me. I'm also gonna be changing slightly because of your interest the format of Let's Keep It Real, but more about that later. I am so freaking pumped that I was able to have this guest on my show. He was saying so many things that I've thought forever, and he is a family practitioner who's trying to reduce the stigma of mental health issues versus physical issues. He's like, you can't take the head off the body. We know that. And he actually wrote some kid books, which are awesome. And it's really about you starting at a very young age with your kids to say, hey, it's no big deal. Whether you break your arm or you're not feeling great mentally, you don't have to feel bad about this. And you start the dialogue at home at a very young age so they feel comfortable talking about it when they do have issues. And then most times they won't blow up into a big hairy deal. Enjoy. Love this episode. I'd really appreciate you rating and sharing it. It means so much. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. Okay, we've been talking about this a lot recently, and I said, hold on. Don't worry, I have somebody that I think can answer a lot of your questions. I did not realize how many questions we had in the mental health department. But Dr. Nee is here, and hopefully we can get to a few of them. But before I bring him on, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He is a family medicine physician with over a decade of experience. He's married, lives in California, and has two beautiful little girls. And the most important thing is he is an advocate for mental health starting at home. Now, before we get into it, I always ask all my guests, if you could say just one word that best describes your past 30 days, what word would come to mind and why would you pick it? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here today. It's a pleasure. And uh, as for the word, I would say uh, resilience. You know, the last month has been tough for our family. We uh, all of us got COVID for the first time. Then my wife. And the kids got RSV, my wife got RSV, and I'm sick now. 
So it's been a struggle uh, for the past 30 days for us. Thank you for your honesty, because so many people think, oh, they have to just say a positive word, but it doesn't have to be. They want to hear what's really going on. So you probably thought, oh, my gosh, you know, we haven't gotten COVID in like two and a half years. You know, we're free. And then, bam. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that work as a doctor? Do you like, can you do virtual visits or you just have to stay home? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a family doctor, so they allow us uh, to have an option if you're feeling well enough, you can uh, do virtuals instead of going to the clinic and also exposing everybody and then uh, just finish your quarantine uh, with the court with your virtuals. And then once you're done, then you come back to clinic. Okay. So Dr. Nee, this subject, when I brought it up to my listeners, there were a million questions from everyone, not just for the middle school kids, which you've written yeah. a lot of amazing short stories. I love the books. We'll get into that. But it was all over the place. And I don't know if you found this, but especially in the last few years, I feel like more people are willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Have you found that with your patients when they come in or more people willing to tell you not just about the physical, but about their mental issues? I don't health issues. I don't know how you refer to it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, one of the inciting incidents for me to start writing my book is to realize that there's such an uptick in uh, mental health visits in the last few years since COVID. You know, I think with COVID, it basically just unmasks all our um, underlying stress and you know, uh, mental health was more brought to the forefront because it's okay. where we're kind of forced to since uh, people were you know, scared I and mean, even uh, medical providers were scared when we first, uh, the pandemic first hit and you know, we're worried for our own health, we're worried about our family. Um, so, I mean, it's a lot of um, not uh, knowing and yeah. seeing what will happen. I mean, it brought so much fear to everybody, you know, and then, you know, then, it triggered your anxiety, your stress, your sleep. And then, you know, once you feel, you, sometimes you feel like there's no end and no people become depressed. So I think it kind of just peel back all the protective layers and then all the mental health side came out. That way, because there's so many different theories, you know, about why do we have more issues? Uh, the, the main one I get, my friends are like, that's just because you put us all together. <laughs> <laughs> right there (laughs) who was it if somebody really you know i don't you know one of the spiritual leaders says whenever you think you're enlightened go visit your family for a week have you ever heard that yeah (laughs) i don't know who said it but it's true all right so your big thing though so you started seeing it over and over again you want to advocate for it starting at the home so does that mean that you help parents understand what's going on with themselves and the kids or mostly the kids? You know, I'm a family physician. So oftentimes I see the kids and the parents. Uh, like oh, all, okay. Sometimes uh, the grandparents, uh, like the whole family is my, are my patients. So then, you know, that happens quite often because I'm like a whole family. Like I know everybody in the family because they're all my patients. So, That's you know. Cool. They, yeah, so it's a cool experience. I'm able to um, get insight on you know the kids' perspective, the parents' perspective, the grandparents' mm. perspective, and you know, each 
you know, at each stage in your life, you have different concerns and different stresses and different things that um, cause you angst. So, uh, you know, I kind of, if they're having any um, quarrel, I kind of help guide them to understand what's going on with the other parties in the family. So one of the biggest questions, and I want to just come right out of the gate with it, that I got is mental health is such a broad term. You know, it's such a big term. So they wanted me to ask you, when you say mental health issues or mental health concerns, what does that mean to you? For me, mental health um, is actually the core of your health. I think if you don't have your mental health together, it's hard to have your physical health because if your mind is very, very powerful tool, I think if you can't control your mind and get that kind of strain, strain away, it's hard to have your physical health in order. So for me, I think mental health is at the core of your health. I like that. And do you think that, well, I guess it depends, but are there still stigmas around, oh, you should be able to do that on your own? Or do you find that more people are open to like, hey, I could use some help here? I still think you know there's a still a significant stigma around mental health. They, uh, okay. you know, I kind of talked about this before. I think people kind of separate mental health and physical health as like two different entities mm. when really they're, you know, they're just your overall health, which is composed of your uh, uh, mental health and your uh, you know, physical health. It's kind of like your intelligence, you know, your EQ and your IQ. I mean, they're separate, but really it, it determines you as a whole, right? I'm so glad to hear you say this, Doc, because for years, and I say not a doctor, but I was in the health club industry. So I went to health clubs my whole life. And for me, the physical fitness was just a vehicle for the mental. And I couldn't understand how people separated the body, mind, and spirit. It was all one. And even years and years ago, I realized the reason I got so much success with my clients physically is because of the mental, you know, I broke down, you know, the mental blocks and found out how they ticked and worked. And that's why the physical came along. Like it went hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And that's why I couldn't understand the big hairy deal. Like, okay, You'll go to physician for your body, but not your brain. It's it's all the same thing. And maybe if they just looked at it differently, mm-hmm. they wouldn't put such a blockade up. So yeah. in with your clients, do you recommend often that they see therapist or psychiatrist? Or are you able to help them mostly yourself? Um, I mean, we as a family medicine physician, we do practice uh, a wide range of medicines and we do you know prescribe medication we do um, work with them closely too but the the limitation is a a time so we don't have as much time with them so Mm. we're not able to really give them therapy so we do recommend to see a therapist because you know it's hard to squeeze in time for everybody Yeah. yeah yeah all right this is a big question and it's for the middle school kids. How I'm try to word it in a nice way because it, they bombarded me with this. Sure, How sure. do you feel about giving middle school kids medicine 
for mental health issues? And I know it's a big, wide question, but mm-hmm. I got so many questions on that. Yeah. So I think um, it based, is based on the severity of symptoms. I think with anything in life, you know, there's no, uh, well, anything in medicine, there's no like uh, clear black or white. If you have this, you do this, you have it, you don't. I mean, it, just like autism, it goes on a spectrum, right? On the yes. severity. Yes. Because you're a mild autism and you're still functioning fine and you have no deficits, then, you know, there's nothing that needs to be intervened, really. But if you have mm-hmm. high deficits, then obviously something needs to be done. Uh, kind of same with mental health. You know, if it's just mild and, you know, you can get therapy, there's cognitive behavioral treatment that uh, you can mm-hmm. uh, get as well. So there's a wide range of treatment, but, you know, based on, everything's kind of based on severity. If they're like um, so severe that it's affecting their daily life, the night before at school, they just want to stay home, they're crying all the time, or they're failing out of school. And obviously at that time, I think medication is definitely warranted because, uh, like I said, it's kind of on a spectrum seeing how severe you are. I'm not saying that everybody needs to be on medicine, but uh, if you kind of weigh the risks and benefits with medicine for all conditions, whether it's mental health or not. I think I love that. I love that. And by the way, you didn't know this, but my uh, son who's off to college to art school, he is on the autism spectrum. But again, it's, you may not know it. If you meet him, you know, it's more of a social thing. So his was handled through mild medicine, family practitioner, and therapy, you know, and I never thought of now till the analogy of mental health. It's the same thing with him. You you say you have autism. Well, there's a spectrum, you know, and how you deal with it is so individual. And I'm so glad that you're doing that. All right, let's jump into, you say it starts at home. So as far as parents, is it having open conversations with their kids? Is that what you mean by it starts at home? Yeah, I think um, it's so important that parents kind of start that conversation early. So my whole thing about mental health is we should be proactive or mental health, just like our physical health, right? Like we exercise, yeah. we try to get fit. So we should do the same thing for our mental health. And we don't want to wait until something happens for us to kind of have that discussion. You don't want to wait for some yeah. tragic event to happen. You lost your family member to suicide or something like that before you start talking to your family about it. Yeah. You know, I think it's so important to have a discussion. You know, you hear so many stories with parents who are kind of shocked that their kids commit suicide. They have, they, you know, they're caught off guard. And, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it's because they never really talk about it, you know? So then you don't have the, the opportunity to, to bring it up. If, if they, uh, if mental health was talk more about home, maybe we can avoid some of those tragic events where, you know, we talk about it before something happens or before it gets so severe that they are so closed off, they can't talk about mm-hmm. it. If you talk about it earlier on, um, the kids can feel more comfortable discussing it with their parents yeah. uh, before, you know, something else tragic happens. I think they feel like, oh, my parents talk to me about it. So it's okay for me to talk to them about it because they don't seem like it's some weird topic. I don't feel uncomfortable. But if you never talk about it your kids, I think even me growing up, I think I would feel really uncomfortable talking to my parents about my mental health because they're, I feel like they're like, why are you talking about this? <laughs> right. So I, I think if the parents can open that 
that dialogue with them like hey you know this, this is this this is you know signs and symptoms of such and such if you have those you'll let me know and you know kind of give them more you know solid like, examples and you know they may be like okay why are we talking about this i'm fine but maybe in the future if they're not fine then they can remember oh yeah i've had that conversation with my, with my parents I love that idea because you're right. If you start it younger, then it's not as what I call a big hairy deal, you know, and they feel more comfortable coming to you and they think of it the same way they think of, Hey, my wrist is feeling weird. Can I go to the doctor? They're not as, you know, they're more likely to come to you with that. Now, that being said, kids are kids and there are times, like you said, they'll be like, why are you talking to me like this? You, I don't want to talk. I'm listening to my music, but at least they know you're there. So yeah. that was another question I got that now maybe these kids are older too, that a lot of the parents feel they bring up and they were like, mom, I don't want to talk about this with you or dad. I don't want to talk mm-hmm. about this with you. And what do you yeah. do then when you think something's wrong? Do you just put them in the car and take them to the doctor? I mean, what do you do then when they don't want to admit anything? Yeah, you know, for those situations, I think, um, fortunately now, there's a lot of uh, third parties or uh, even through the insurance, they have virtual therapy. So I think that would be a, a easier transition where, you know, okay, someone can call you at night and just talk to you. We're not going to take you anywhere. You can do the visit in your room by yourself. You can close the door or whatever it may be i think the virtual aspect of um, mental health has greatly improved i think that's easier for um to segue you know maybe they get used to the virtual appointments they're willing to go actually see the therapist in person um i mean i, I think with you know older kids i think it takes baby steps you know you don't want to kind of make such a big drastic push that they will close off completely so I, I think most kids are like, well, someone can call you at nine o'clock and just talk to you. You can you know, share what you feel. Most kids are like, okay, yeah, whatever, fine. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No one's going to be like, no, I'm not going to pick up that phone call. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Do you see a difference in the benefits between in-person and virtual? Because I know a few of my friends, they said some of the kids they love virtual and some of them are like, no way they won't open up unless they're in person. Yeah. I mean, again, it kind of depends on the kids and it also depends on the, the person on the other end. I think if they're very adept at virtual care, they kind of know how to get them to open up a little bit more. But I think if you're going to compare virtual to in person, I think in person is always going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand what you're saying. If the person on the other end is more relaxed and used to doing virtual, mm-hmm. then it makes the patient more relaxed. Yeah. All right. So the subject of bullying. I think everybody can relate to this, but I'd like you to tell a little bit more about your story and your experience coming from Vietnam to California. Yeah. So my whole family we uh, immigrated to the states to uh, california when i was seven um i didn't know a word of english you know didn't understand the culture didn't understand anything about the states i mean mm. barely even knew much about the, the states to begin with so yeah. uh, and then we were popped in 
a predominantly like Caucasian community with their like you know middle class. So you know, I, like I, I like plopped in. <laughs> so you know, I stood out like a sore thumb. You know, I didn't understand the culture. I didn't understand what they were talking about. I even like the little nuances. You know, I didn't understand like what's going on. Like I. You know, I think kids generally are accustomed to a certain kind of normalcy, would you say? And then if something kind of stands out, then you're target for bullying. So I stood out. So I was the target for (laughs) all the bullying. Oh, my God. And so what did your parents say back home? I mean, did you come home and tell them? I mean, I honestly try not to let them know what's going on much um, because I see how much they're struggling to transitioning to the States, um, trying to figure out their own life and trying to, you know, get a job, take care of us as well. So, mm. and then I see how much my siblings are trying to fit in and trying to learn and try to figure out where they're from as well. So I think I mostly kept it in. I mean, I kind of let them know here and there, Nothing major. I mean, I did let my mom know that I was having trouble in school because I didn't understand anything. So yeah. I remember she said, oh, okay, um, bring home your books. Then maybe uh, I can help you, you know, with the books and see, kind of get catch up in class. So I remember, uh, you know, we have school sets, right, of books. And then we put it in our cubby. And at the end of the day, they do a book check to make sure all the books are there. I didn't remember. I remember not knowing how to tell my teacher that I just want to take some of the books home to study, and I'm not going to steal them. <laughs> so uh, I ended up putting a couple books in my backpack, and I went to the bus stop. And then I remember the teacher chasing after me. I knew what she was saying, but I didn't understand. I knew she's like, "Hey, you yeah, can't right, take yeah. them home. You got to put it back." But, but I couldn't tell her like I don't want to steal them. I just want to take them home so my mom can help me. And then I, I ran, I felt so frustrated. I started crying and then she just took the books back and I just like cried at the bus stop until the bus came. Oh God. So, yeah. So I was like, man, this is, I remember waiting for a bus. I was like, man, this sucks. I really don't want to be here. Why did we come here? Yeah. 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 So how did you get through that? I mean, because I get it. It's a different generation too. And a lot of times I've heard parents say, I didn't even know, like, you know, as the kids got older and they said they were bullied or they had all these frustrations at school and they're like, we didn't even know, you know, that you were going through that. So what did you do to cope back then? Or, or did you cope or was it just miserable? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, uh, I kind of relied on was, you know, I, my passion for art. So I kind of got lost in my own art and what I drew, I felt like, I was at peace. I didn't really think about what's going on at school. I didn't think about what's going on, you know, in my life at that time. I just let my creativity flow and just, you know, those times that I'm drawing or creating, I'm, I'm at peace. Yeah. Yeah. So you had an outlet. Mm -hmm. Some people might be theater. Some people, it might be sports for you. And I've seen it with my son. It's art. When you're drawing, it's very calming. And that's mm-hmm. all you're thinking about right there. Okay. So I hear all the time, doctor, about 
kids getting bullied. I mean, at every age. And the thing I get asked over and over again, and now keep in mind, most of these are high school kids, mm-hmm. is they don't know what to do about it. Because if they stand up for themselves, let's just say the popular kids are bullying right. them, then it could get worse. Like whenever they stood up and said, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that. Now they're out of that group. Now they have nowhere to sit. It, they've they've escalated it. Mm-hmm. So advice, what would you tell? And a lot of it that I'm hearing from uh, is not just girls, it's girls and boys. Yeah. Yeah, you know, bullying, like uh, in my book, you know, at the end, I do have a little blurb, my uncle blurb about it. Uh, for each mental health topic, but you know, uh, the study showed that maybe at least one out of five kids have been bullied. You know, while yeah, they're in school. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's not something where it's like one in a hundred kids. So like, <laughs> no. if, if, yeah, if you have five kids at home, one of them is being bullied. So yeah, yeah. so it's not uh, something uncommon. And in terms of bullying, I think a lot of times, uh, like I wrote in the book, like when you get bullied, you feel like maybe it might be your fault and sometimes you feel too embarrassed to tell your parents or is it too embarrassed to get help um so i think that's one of the major problems with being bullied i think a lot of it is the the person being bullied kind of blames themselves sometimes uh, instead of realizing that it's nothing they've done i mean they're they're a victim they're not they're not the uh the cause of that it's not like they're they're going out in the middle of the night in new york city and they get robbed and then that's kind of you know kind of asking, right? they're just going to school they're not asking to be bullied they're not doing anything um so i think a lot of times for for uh bullying i feel like what's going to change that culture if the parents like i said kind of talk to their kids at home and have that discussion at home yeah. and say you know this is what if someone's being bullied if it's not you, you shouldn't stand aside and watch them get bullied. Because you know, one day that that being that person being bullied could be you. Yeah. So I think if we all kind of have that conversation at home and have the parents kind of instill that in their kids and have everybody unite, you know, because most of the time it's like a handful of bullies, right? It's not like everybody in school is being is bullying. Each no, other. no, it's usually like three to five. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So I think if the rest of the class kind of stood up to them and say hey stop that that's not like that's not nice that's not cool then i think that should help the bully culture but i think um what ends up happening with the culture now is that everyone stands aside gets out their phone and records and lets everything play out so i think that's why bullying has gotten i feel like gotten worse than years this culture of like i'm not involved i'm i'm not being bullied i'm not gonna get involved so i think that's why things kind of escalated like no one's has you don't really see a lot of people or a lot of the kids standing up to bullies yeah well i do agree i do think that the more and more the other kids rally behind those other ones right there's there's power numbers and community it can help but i do see the other side of it like i don't want to be on the end of that like if i say yeah. something i'm at the end of it but even more so and i'm i really don't know the answer to this some of it it's right in your face and you can see the person's being bullied 
But there's other times where they're saying things to someone mm-hmm. because, of, you know, insecurities and jealousies or whatever. And it's not as obvious. And a lot of kids are saying, you know, they don't know what to do because if they say something like you can't treat me like that or you can't do that, we're talking verbally mm-hmm. putting them down for whatever reason. It's going to make it more miserable you know, for them at school. And I really, I honestly don't have the answer for that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, going back to our kind of severity, I think if, if it's to a point where it's super severe, I think at that point, you know, that's when you get kind of get administration involved. Okay. And not, not kind of deal with it on your own. But I think if it's not super severe, I think a lot of times, um, you know, kind of parents have to kind of empower their own their kids to, They'll be um, not self-reliant, but be more confident in themselves. Yeah, yeah. Not, not feel like um, they're so they're so scared to kind of just respond. Good point. Good point. So a lot of it has to do with then people, the, the kids that have more confidence in themselves and their ability to make. Mm-hmm friends and other friends. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I get that parents can be a part of it, but I know I've seen where it's, it's tough, no matter how much parents are saying you're amazing or whatever, whatever, Mm -hmm. it's got to know it for themselves, you know? And sometimes that's a journey. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, Self-confidence is something that's uh, learned through the years. Yeah. Um, you know, in one of the books, uh, we talk about grit, which is, um, you know, the ability to, you know, dust yourself off after you fail. Yeah. You know, for some parents, um, the difference between kind of verbally telling them they're great and telling them that they're amazing and yeah. actually letting them feel that way is two different things. Like you, like you can tell your kids, oh, you're so amazing, you're so smart, you're so this and that, but they're not lo- let them feel that way. The only way they can feel that way is actually let them, them learn that they are that way. So how do you do that? It's through actually mm-hmm. allowing them to fail, allowing them to discover that by themselves. I think um, some parents, they they don't want to see the kids fail. So they kind of intervene before anything yeah, even happens. Yeah. And then, so, so that culture of like kind of preventing them from failing doesn't really give them confidence, even though you're telling them like verbally, they hear it, but they don't feel it. But mm-hmm. if you let them actually feel it, like, oh, I failed, but I was able to recover. I practiced and mm-hmm. I, I did it. So that way they act actually feel that confidence instead of just hearing that confidence so it's like two two major like it's like like two big difference i think verbally telling them oh you're the best you want an award this and that but if they don't feel like it there's nothing you can say that will make them feel like it for them to feel like it you have to allow them to go through that journey let them fail let them recover let them find their own success so i think you know, with grit, you know, one of the uh, 
you know, the uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, Dr. Duckworth, she, she's a big advocate for uh, grit. She's found that, you know, the most successful kids are the ones with the most grit, not the ones that are the smartest, not the ones that are the most talented or the most athletic or whatnot, okay. but the ones that actually can just fail, 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 and get up. By the way, that's a, I wish we had time for a whole nother podcast because I was just in a parent group and they were talking about that. And yes, most parents, of course, you want your kid to be happy and you'd like to protect them, but they get that they have to have their own journey. Mm-hmm. And what's the balance of, well, yeah, so-and-so they were saying was successful, but they, you know, grew up in a poverty with one parent and this and that's that they had no other choice well they have a nice cushy home you know and yeah loving parents and good means how's my kid gonna learn grit but there's other ways of picking yourself back up besides that yeah definitely i think um you know for those kids who aren't born into poverty and they aren't forced to succeed in in yeah. order to put on the table, you know, there are other ways to allow them to develop grit. So, you know, like we talked about, you know, you know, let them explore things they like, let them, you know, try to go like be competitive at any kind of level for the things that they yeah. do like. And, you know, yeah. obviously when you become competitive at anything, you will find someone that's better than you. <laughs> you will be humbled. So that's how you, <laughs> that's how you, you know, basically Always. Yeah, just like me, like I was always like the best artist in school. So and when I was a kid, I thought I was like the best artist in the world until I got humble when I started going to competitions and like my like art exhibits where I'm like, oh man, there's still other kids that are way better than me. And that's when you kind of like you'll know, be yeah. humble and work hard. I'm like, okay, I got to keep practicing work harder because I'm not the best. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask, what made you not go to art school and become a doctor or is it always just going to be a hobby for you? You know, to be honest, I did want to be an artist when I was a kid. Like that was my passion. Mm-hmm. But you know, what ended up happening was my uh, older siblings all went into medicine and I, you know, I looked up to them growing up. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I should go into medicine too. But it was still like just a thought, but what solidified it, you know, my, uh, you know, want to go to medicine was when we went back to uh, Vietnam for the first time. It was uh, yeah, during a winter break and um, for my first year in college. Mm. We went to go visit my grandma because she was really sick. She was basically dying. Mm. And then we got there. Um, you know, she was pretty lethargic. She couldn't really talk. She was you know, pretty out of it. So, um, you know, I kind of prayed. I'm like, oh, please, you know, let her just, you know, be lucid for just a while. I just want to talk to her for one last time and just, you know, give her a hug and say I love her. Um, but she never woke up. You know, I felt so helpless. I felt like, man, maybe if I was a doctor, I knew more. I could help her. Uh, I just felt mm-hmm. so so helpless. I was like, I, I didn't like, I don't want to feel this way. I want to feel like I would know what to do and yeah. you know, know how to help her because I feel like I'm just watching her die. And, I mean, yeah. as a kid, you know, even I think I was a doctor, I, there's not much I could have done anyway. Oh, no, <laughs> but, no, I can't. But, 
but it's that feeling like so helpless like i just didn't know what to do so i was like okay i'm gonna follow my brother and my sister going to medicine yeah do you still is art a part of your life at all my brother my sister no is art a part of your life oh you know to be honest uh I haven't really done much art since uh, college because, you know, when I was pre-med, I used to worry about trying to get med school and there's med school yeah. and residency. Um, you know, I really haven't picked up art until my book series. Oh, so those are your illustrations. Yeah, those are my illustrations. Well, there you go. Yeah, so I... I love them. I love them. Yeah, I didn't really pick up art until my book series because you know, I actually had a real legitimate reason to get back into drawing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, illustrating, yeah. All right, so let's now dot. With, all right, people, I know I didn't get to all your questions. I'm sure you can reach out to, to Dr. But let's dive in to what was like, okay, I got to write these books. Was it, you know, I know your kids are probably in those, are your kids in this age bracket or is it mostly about your patients that made you like, I got to do this? No, my kids are at two and four, so they're way young. Okay. Yeah. What I actually really wanted, like, was the uh, event that triggered me to do this was actually um, losing my nephew to suicide like uh, six months into the pandemic. Oh, oh God. I'm so yeah, sorry. I, yeah. yeah, thank you. I remember, I remember my mom calling me, oh. I think it was like 11 at night or something. She never calls me 11 at night. She calls me in the daytime. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, so I pick up, I'm like, mom, you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. So I'm like, so I ask her, oh, is dad okay? She's like, yeah, he's fine. He's sleeping. I was like, okay. <laughs> Why are you calling me? <laughs> She's like, oh, I just want to let you know. Um, your cousin just called me and he said that his uh, son committed suicide. Mm. So I like, I was silent for a while trying to take it in, in my head, in my head, I, I thought it was an attempt suicide. So I said, Oh, okay. Is he in the hospital? You want me to take him to go see him? She's like, no, he's dead. Wow. So I was like, wait, what? How old was he? He was 21. Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, I think at that point, I, you know, I started thinking like, man, it, like, don't you, know, you see all these, you know, um, famous people or people in the magazines, uh, you know, lost their yeah. life to suicide yeah. or their loved one's suicide. And then now it struck so close to home. That's when I realized the importance of having that conversation at home. Cause then I thought about maybe if his parents had that conversation with him long, long time ago, it wouldn't have led him to a point where he thought that the only way to end his problem would be suicide. Mm -hmm. So I think that's when I really was determined to like do something to have that dialogue at home have parents yeah, talk yeah. to their kids and you know have the be it something that's no more normal and have that conversation spend something that's really awkward and you know feels uncomfortable to have yeah. that conversation. Yeah, I love that. I'm all about I call them like guidebooks. 
you know, because it makes it when I was looked, you know, looked up all your books, which they have to go to your website. We'll tell them about that. I'm thinking this makes it more relaxed and fun to have these difficult conversations. And it's all about the adventures of Max and his friends. And I love that each one is like the first day of school, uh, grit and hard work. Like they all have the new kid change that you all have a theme for each one of them. And I know you still have more coming out, don't you? Yeah, I have uh, eight in total. So six for hour, we have two more coming. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And why Max? Why the adventures of Max? Yeah, basically, you know, the, the stories of Max are, and his other friends are basically an accumulation of uh, my own stories and my own struggles. And, oh. and then the struggles of, uh, and the stories of my patients that kind of stuck with me through the years. Yeah. So basically, uh, I'm trying to give them a voice, you know, taking their stories and bringing it to, uh, give them a voice so they, they can share their own, their stories with other reader, other kids that, um, can relate to them because all the stories are actually, I mean, they're obviously modified, but they're based on two <laughs> events. Uh, so they're not completely made up. So I think that's why it's more relatable because it did really happen and not, yeah, yeah, not precisely, but um, yeah. you know, it took some creative liberties, but obviously they're all based on real stories and real events mm-hmm. and the emotions and the feelings are, are real. Uh, emotions and feelings that were at yeah. the time. So that's why I wanted to share their stories and share my stories with uh, other kids that are struggling and feel like they don't have anyone that understands them or connects to them. So hopefully yeah. these stories are, uh, can help them see that they're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same thing <laughs> with your books that I saw with my journal. When I, sent my journal to people for their kids. A lot of the older kids were using it. You know what I mean? The high school college and the parents. These stories are so relatable that I could just even seeing the parents start healing from reading like the stories. Yeah. Cause like, it's like you said, they're real. I mean, you yeah. can feel that. And I get you took creative liberties. I accidentally got put into a, fiction book writing group and I'm nonfiction. And what I realized, yeah, they're fiction because then you don't have to do all the fact tracks, but most of them are based on their own life. Yeah. You know, they just are able to take liberties with it. Okay. So I do want to stay with, I didn't get to go into all the questions, but they would like recommendations if their child is having what they feel mental health issues and they're not opening up to them would you first start with their family practitioner i want to make sure i get that in because that's another question i got over and over again where will you start yeah i think if you have any concerns about your kids i think uh, have them go see their uh you know family doctor or the pediatrician you know depending on the age and have them uh start there i think that's probably the um the best starting point. I think um, if they have a good relationship with their pediatrician or the family doctor, you know, they're more likely to open up to them as opposed to their parents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's a good starting point to let them go and see their uh, primary care provider. I think that's um, 
and then the provider can kind of do the assessment, see what they you know, what they may need going further. Yeah, yeah. So I know I'm going to send people to your website, but each of these short stories, these books, how long do they take to go through and read with a child? I think if you just read like a normal piece, uh, each book takes about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes at the most. So they're uh, short stories. So they're meant yeah. to be read at one sitting. Um, but I think the books, if you read it a couple of times, each time you probably will gleam some different uh, yeah. message from it. So, um, uh, but I said it in terms of just reading speed, probably 15, 20 minutes yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it's a starting off pipe point and it's a guidebook. You can pick it up. You know, it's not like, okay, this is just a story you read one time. Like, keep it yeah. there and go over and over again. Well, Dr. Nee, I'm so grateful you came on and you. I'm grateful that you came on, even though you're not feeling great. I mean, I really appreciate that. I hope you feel better no soon, too, you know, because I know that's not fun. But before we go, tell them where they can find you your books or you sure um you can find my books or uh contact me on uh, my website the uh, www.theadventuresofmaxandfriends.org or okay. you can go uh the adventures of max and friends and that my website should come up you know you can ask questions on there uh if you still have questions that uh burning questions you haven't been answered yet so you can communicate with me through on the website as well and then uh, it has you know, all my books and when they're released and how you can purchase them. All right, my let's keep it real people. Dr. Neen, I would really appreciate you sharing this, rating this, like it. I know there's going to be somebody that you know could benefit from this podcast. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.